0: Okay, hello everybody. Today is Friday, another Anything Goes Friday. Welcome to the show. Because this is the Anything Goes segment, mostly talking about true crime serial killers, the Zodiac Killer, but any subject is fair game, right? Well, why don't we talk about the Zodiac Killer and other serial killers? And that's exactly what we're going to do today. What you're looking at in the images is my copy of Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts by Tom Voigt, which is really an um, assembly and compilation of the police reports related to the crimes allegedly committed by the zodiac killer because it's done in that way i won't be talking about tom voigt and his um, assessment and his theories and his take on the subject i would like to look at the material in the source documents But I would always like to remind you guys that this show is now available for free downloads at Launchpad, which has reshaped, it It used to be called Launchpad DM, and I was promoting it that way for a while, but they've uh, changed the name of their platform to Launchpad One, and there'll be a link to that in the description box. It is the user-generated affiliate of Podcast One, which has some really great shows. If you're into true crime, I cannot recommend that stuff enough talking about the first degree the serial killer podcast court Chunky. i love all of those shows but now they have this user-generated platform they've had it for a while now but it just morphed into launchpad one and you can download black box online radio for free there link in the description box But today, I wanted to begin with the Lake Herman Road murders. We will once again be going back to December 20th of 1968 to look at the first canonical crime that was committed by the Zodiac Killer. And I said allegedly the first time because this is still an open, unsolved case. No one has ever been convicted for the murders of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, the first confirmed Zodiac victims. But confirmed is a very strong word, as we're going to see. There are other suspects in the Lake Herman Road murders, and when I was asked about this in an AMA on a Wednesday show once, someone said, which Zodiac crime do you find the most mysterious? I said the Lake Herman Road murders because... My answer was there's such a high probability that it could be a drug-related or gang-related shooting, but as we see from going through the material that has been put forward in Zodiac Killer Just the Facts, there are going to be even other angles that could be explored that are not Zodiac Killer, and there could have been somebody else. So there's a lot to go through in this one. First, I want to also share that There were two victims murdered, David Arthur Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. This was a very humanizing attempt to go through the material, because so many times we talk about what is David Faraday's connection to the Zodiac Killer, what is Betty Lou's connection to the Zodiac Killer, and the Zodiac becomes the center point of all of this. But I found that going through the police reports was surprisingly humanizing to both David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. And I don't know if this is a fair assessment on my part, but I found that the material that had been shared by Betty Lou's sister and her friends was the most revealing. I really didn't get a very strong window into the world of David Arthur Faraday other than what I learned about from Betty Lou's uh, friends and family. So I think that it does give... Some light in a couple different directions, and it brings a little bit of clarity to the situation. So excuse me if you hear me fumbling around with some pages throughout this recording, but I do have the, um, I guess you'd say the paperback copy of the book in front of me. Now the first thing I would like to talk about is the time and location of when this crime took place. We even have an approximate time of the shooting listed as 11.14pm here on page 14 of the book. And in the illustrations provided, my first um, observation was there's actually a lot of uh, space in between the victim's car and the road. In some other depictions, particularly the one that I used from The Stones Unturned, that showed that there was very little space between David Faraday's car and the road, so it was rather obvious that the person who shot David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen would have had to have pulled up to the passenger side of them, on, I guess, the right side of the car, but um, their car would have been close to the passenger door of David Faraday's car. But um, in this one, it actually shows that there could have been enough space for that car to have uh, pulled in to the driver's side. And this is important because you want to know who is the major target. Is it David Faraday, or is it Betty Lou Jensen, or is it both of them? But yes, December 20th, 1968, approximately 11.14 p.m. We're going to see what the Lake Herman Road murders, the reason why so many people are trying to debate was this genuine Zodiac activity or not, or was this another assailant and the Zodiac simply learned about it and took credit for it in a letter that was mailed in 1969, is because why were they in that parking lot? This is a very small, um parking lot, no matter what I just said before. Okay, there's a couple more feet between David's car and the road. It is not a park. It is not an open area. It is the entrance to a water pumping station. And in almost all the police reports, it says Lake Herman Road entrance to Benicio Water Pumping Station. And there are numerous explanations about why David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen would be in that park. And the first is... Maybe it was indeed a lovers' lane that they were going there for physical privacy or intimacy. The biggest argument against that is that it was so close to the road as you see that the headlamps from the car going on, going in one direction, would have shown right into their window. So it would be a terrible way to get physical intimacy. But I would like to confirm one thing that I did read in the police reports here that had been discussed by you guys in the comments section, particularly Chevy Cat and Tyler Grover, big shout out to you guys, pointing out that when David Faraday was found dead, in his hands he was holding a class ring, golden color, and with a red stone in the center. So they um, brought this to my attention that the motivation for them being in the parking lot could have been that David simply wanted a conversation with Betty Lou Jensen because he may have been asking her to be his steady girlfriend or something like that and wanted to give her his class ring as a token of his affection, and that it's not about physical intimacy. He's just talking to her, and maybe they were blindsided by the Zodiac Killer, or maybe there was another suspect involved. But those um are, I guess, the two leading theories, and some people think that um this was a whole another web of criminal activity related to drug dealing and we're also going to see that there is somebody who is definitely causing trouble in betty lou jensen's life as well as in her family's life the first point i would like to bring um, to our attention is this is frequently described as david and betty's first date david Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen are allegedly on their first date, is written in numerous pieces of Zodiac literature all around the internet. But according to the material in these police reports, David Faraday had picked her up from school numerous times. It says about four or five times that um, he had picked her up from school. So they were definitely spending time together. And also, Betty Lou Jensen had been seeing other guys throughout the year of uh, 1968. I'm not holding that against her. There's nothing wrong with that. But is there somebody who's going to be rather upset about that? If we go back to some of the time prior to December 20th of 1968, it appears that Betty Lou is seeing a guy casually for a while named Steve, and then another guy comes into her life named Ricky. I often refer to him as Richard Ricky Blank, and his last name is redacted from almost all of these police reports, except for a note that was found in Betty Lou Jensen's locker after her death. And this was one that was taken. Um, uh, well, uh, I guess you'd say they examined the material that had been obtained in her locker, because um, at Betty Lou's high school, Hogan High School, they had private gym lockers. And I would. This was collected on the first, the third of January, actually. 1969 1369 and it says do you know a kid named richard burton i was going with him until two days before the installation he still phones me and he is threatening me to keep away from dave he said if he's ever close enough to dave he would punch him in the teeth i told him to leave me alone if he knows what good him and it does it does say that what good him so the guy Richard Ricky Blank, I mean, maybe we can refer to him as Richard Burton. That's the only time that I noticed his uh, full name was used, but Ricky, for lack of a better name, has been bothering Betty Lou Jensen a lot, and it seems like he is very upset with the fact that she is now seeing David Arthur Faraday. But as far as Betty Lou's friends have gone to share, it doesn't appear that there was any actual relationship going on between Ricky and Betty Lou. By seeing him and going with him, it says. I was going with him until two days before the installation. That sounds like they're mostly experiencing a type of 16-year-old casual flirtation rather than a relationship. It seems like they're mostly walking in the hallways together, and they did not uh, even have a real date, it seems. Betty Lou Jensen had two close friends uh, named Diane and Alice. I think it's Diane, though, it's spelled D-I-A-N, it could be Dion, and they reported that Betty Lou didn't even go out anywhere with Ricky after school. It does appear, though, that on December 20th of 1968, there is a brief confrontation between Ricky and David, although David Faraday is a Godden Country Eagle Scout, he seems like a very level-headed individual, and they didn't get into any physical altercation, they simply saw each other in the hallways and had a stare down, but David knew better than to start trouble with somebody who was at a school that he did not go to. David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen went to different schools, and then they simply parted ways, but I guess it's important to know that, firstly, David and Betty Lou had been seeing each other for a while. Secondly, Betty Lou Jensen was also known to smoke. It doesn't say what, I mean, if they're talking about cigarettes, maybe, but I think they're referring to marijuana. And one of the reasons why is because some people think that Lake Herman Road, where the two victims were murdered, was not a lover's lane. It was a place where teenagers went to buy drugs, and David Faraday did not do drugs. It actually seems to say in these reports that Ricky did not smoke either. But um, David Faraday famously did not do drugs, and it seems like he was very anti-drug. But some people have theorized over the years that is it possible that David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen went there to try some marijuana, or in short, get David to try marijuana for the first time? Would Betty Lou have been persuading him to do that? I mean, that could also be a motive. I think that that is something in favor of that. I'm not saying that that I know that with certainty, but it definitely seems less ridiculous, because Betty Lou Jensen is hiding the fact that she is dating boys from her mother until David Faraday. Betty Lou's mother says very clearly in these reports that she did not know of any previous boyfriends that her daughter had had, But, but Betty Lou's sister, Melody, confirms, yes, Betty Lou was seeing guys, and also that she was smoking. So, um... Betty Lou was very good at hiding that from her parents the way that any 16-year-old was. I hid things from my parents, and I'm sure you did too when you were 16. That's just the way life is. So I don't fault Betty Lou at all for any of that. I mean, she's just being a normal teenager, especially in 1969. I'm sure there was a little bit of teenage rebellion in the atmosphere. The point is... There are numerous motivations about why they could have been in this parking lot at Lake Herman Road. And I think that this also goes against the theory that David Faraday was there for a confrontation with somebody, maybe Ricky, maybe another one of these guys that... um had been interested in Betty Lou Jensen, and that he was supposed to get into a fish fight to defend his girlfriend's honor or something like that, that motive is looking less and less plausible, and rather that this was a place where teenagers frequently went, maybe they were going to pick up some marijuana and David was going to try it, or maybe it's as simple as that, that it was a common stopover point. Lake Herman Road is a shortcut between Benicia and Vallejo, and it seems like it's a stopover point where people would park their cars, and I guess they would just pass the time and such. Maybe some people would go there for a beer, or maybe some people would go there to smoke marijuana, even though it's very close to the road, and if you were going to get busted for something, it seems like it would be extremely easy to be put into that situation. I would actually like to read something from page 70 here in Zodiac, Just the Facts. This is talking about the testimony of Melody, who is the sister of Betty Lou Jensen. Melody was questioned in regards to any threats that her sister may have received prior to the time of death. She stated that her sister had not dated and that they had discussed something prior to the fatal day. She advised Betty Lou to bring David to meet her parents. While they were en route to AGE at about 6 p.m. on the 20th, the fatal day, Betty Lou confided to her sister that she was afraid of Ricky, that's uh, Richard Burton, because Ricky had threatened to tell her parents that she smoked and she was having dates. She said that he was going to beat up David, said something about using brass knuckles. Okay, so, I mean, it's important to note that Ricky, Richard Burton maybe is his full name, is threatening Betty Lou Jensen, he is threatening David Faraday, and then David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen end up murdered. Some of the points that would go against Ricky being the shooter at Lake Herman Road is that, firstly, his family provided an alibi for him, and the family does appear to have actually been together with him most of the night. On the night that David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen was murdered, were murdered, excuse me, they were having a birthday celebration for Ricky's sister. So they're at home, they're having cake, they know what day it is, and it seems like Ricky was definitely present in the house. And also, I mean, it's somewhat of a flimsy alibi, I do have to admit that, because Ricky's alibi is his family. Here's here's another point. It doesn't seem that Ricky had a valid driver's license at, a t- at the time, but they do say in numerous places in these reports that Ricky could drive a car. He knew how to drive, but um, he definitely did not have access to his own vehicle. I mean, it is a theory that maybe you've even encountered this from time to time, that he was using his car or that he allowed somebody else to drive the family car, which would have been a dark-colored, maroon-colored station wagon. And they showed up at Lake Herman Road and blindsided David Ferdinand and Betty Lou Jensen, point against that. Well, if Ricky did it, how did he get the gun? Everything in these reports says Ricky did not have access to a firearm. I mean, it's not impossible to obtain a gun in America, even if you're 16 or 17, however old Ricky was, a Hogan High School student, it's possible. Or maybe he was with somebody else who was in possession of the gun and that person was a little bit mentally unstable and was the shooter, or Ricky was the shooter. I think that Ricky is a rather weak suspect in the Lake Herman Road murders because it seems like he is guilty of some very annoying behavior. But did he actually murder these two people? If you're somebody who thinks that there is a single perpetrator Zodiac killer out there, that there was just one person who was responsible for these crimes, then everything I've said about Ricky is null and void. It is moot. It is beside the point. It is irrelevant. Because most people who think there was a single Zodiac killer look to the locations. It's not even about the victims. It's not even about all of the drama that they had going on in their lives. It would be about the area where the victims were parked because of maybe something is lining up mathematically, Maybe the Zodiac symbol plus a few radians is going to give the uh, creation of a criminal masterpiece loaded with mathematical signatures. The locations would have been important, not the identity of the victims. So there could be that. I mean, maybe Betty Lou had somewhat of a stalker, this Ricky guy, and then she was murdered by the Zodiac killer. Talk about rotten luck. Or perhaps there could be something that is connected to this crime that is somewhat of an intermediary. From reading the reports here on Lake Harmon Road in the early parts of the book, I noticed a particular name that has not come up yet, and that is David Wallyott. There is something that is known as the Ott Brothers gang, and one of the theories out there is that it wasn't Ricky that was the shooter. It wasn't the Zodiac Killer who was the shooter. Instead, it was somebody named David Wallyott, who was a police informant who... Had a type of connection to the underworld he was a big time criminal I mean as big time as you can get for low level drug dealing. He is someone who's both big and small at the same time, and um he may have even been known as big red that might have been his nickname and one of the legends one of these zodiac killer legends out there is that this guy, David Waliott, was an informant in the sense that he would sell drugs to people, and very shortly after selling them drugs, he would then be arrested. And, I mean, like, the other people would be arrested. I hope that that was clear. He's an informant. He is setting people up, but he's an actual criminal, and he is actually doing things that are involved with the drug trade, and he's working with other people, particularly Russell Rustiot, who is, um, Oh, I forget if he's his brother or his cousin, but they're known as the Ott Brothers gang. David Wallyott's nickname actually was Willie for some reason. I don't know why Wally wasn't good enough. Maybe he thought Wally wasn't very badass, so he had to go with Willie, which is even less badass in my opinion, but I digress from that. One of the points that supports this theory that David Wallyott was the shooter is that two jailhouse informants would later go on to say that they were present at Lake Herman Road, sitting in the backseat of the car, and David Wallyott was the shooter. This relates to the idea that David Faraday is having confrontations with people, right? He doesn't smoke, he's anti-drug, and um, he doesn't want anyone pushing drugs at school, and David pissed off somebody who had connections to a higher-ranking drug dealer, David Wallyott, and that They wanted to uh, silence him because he had crossed the wrong people. Or also, perhaps, this guy David Waliat thought that he had immunity from prosecution because he was a police informant. Because he's doing these sting operations, selling some people small amounts of drugs. Then they get arrested shortly after. I mean, he's involved with these more or less um, sting operations. I think that's the way to describe it. But I would like to go back to the book and go to page 72 here, and we'll hear more from Melody, Betty Lou's sister, because we want to get everything right. Melody also states that on Friday in the afternoon, David came over to Hogan, and he had words with someone's name who's been redacted. It seems that they were talking, and Mr. Grove came upon the scene, unaware that anything was in progress. They had no physical conflict David, realizing that he was in a school where he should not be, left without any further discussion. Melody also said that her sister used to say, Close the blinds. Redacted is spying on me. In other words, she did not want to be in the house with him peeking around at the same time Mrs. Jensen, Betty Lou's mother, was there, saying that upon several occasions she found the gate open to the house. They at the time suspected that Someone might have been prowling around the house. No one ever saw him, but it was suspicioned that he might have. Just reading through these early police reports, I would get the impression, if I didn't know any better, that, well, this Ricky guy would be the prime suspect to be the shooter at Lake Herman Road. However, the Zodiac killer would go on to take credit for this in a very famous letter that was mailed in the summer of 1969, not after the Lake Herman Road murders. There was no report of that. It wasn't until after the murder of Darlene Farron on July 4th, 1969, that the Zodiac Killer said the famous words, I will state some facts that only I and the police know. And I really began to get a sense of, um was just an upsetting feeling that really came over me, learning all of these things about David and Betty Lou, and then thinking about that letter that's mailed and Somebody murdered them and is just bragging about it. Yeah, I killed them, and I'm going to tell you how I did it, and I'm going to tell you all the details of the crime. It becomes more sickening in that effect, because so many times when we talk about the Zodiac Killer, we're trying to answer the question, was this the work of one serial killer, or was this the work of multiple people? However, I think that looking at these police reports, you get a sense of how the family was feeling, as well as what was going on in the lives of these two people, and big rest in peace to Betty Lou Jensen and David Arthur Faraday. As far as Ricky's involvement, he was questioned by the police, of course, absolutely they zoned in on him, and he even was questioned about threatening David and threatening Betty Lou Jensen and he said that he did not do it didn't know what they were talking about and then they presented him with that piece of paper that was found in Betty Lou Jensen's locker the one where she talks about he was going with him 2 weeks before the installation says he's going to punch David in the teeth and then he was like oh wow he seemed genuinely surprised looking at that and was like well maybe i said it over the phone and i'm paraphrasing of course but that was what he said maybe it was something that he mentioned in a phone call to Betty Lou But they noticed that his uh, demeanor seemed like someone who was not lying. However, then, to find out if Ricky was going to be telling the truth or not, they suggested that he take a polygraph test. At first, Ricky says that, yes, he would take a polygraph test, and then he later on, uh, after being advised by his family, pulls out that offer and says that, no, he will not take a polygraph test. His family simply said, they know he's innocent. They know that he was at home with them. He didn't do it. And a lot of people do not take polygraph tests. I would just ask you this question. This is a challenge question. If somebody refuses to take a polygraph test and flat out says, no, I will not, do you think that is suggestive? of their guilt. Do you think that makes them look guilty or not? My simple answer to that is, no, absolutely not. But I want to hear your responses in the comment section below, or read them rather. I always say that I want to hear your responses. No, I want to read them in the comment section down below. And you can also contact me at BlackBoxOnlineRadio at AOL.com, BlackBoxNet88 on Instagram. Links are in the description box. But do you think that that suggests that somebody is guilty if they will refuse a polygraph test I was even advised of this once by a former police officer. I was never um, asked to take one by law enforcement or something, but he said, if anybody ever asks you to take a polygraph test, say no. Because what if the test is inaccurate? I mean, even think about it, 99% accuracy. Let's say, hypothetically, you have a 99% accuracy going for you. What if you're the 1% who comes back? inaccurate. And that's his reasoning. And there's a a few more steps to that. But lots of people are advised not to take polygraph tests for that simple reason. And I know this is going to sound like a very odd pivot, but I was even watching an episode of Dr. Phil once, and they're trying to find out if this girl was involved with her boyfriend's death or not. And they're like, will you take a lie detector test on the show now? And she said no. And they're like, why not? She's like, my lawyer advised me never to take a polygraph test if you're not forced to do so. And some people think, um, in that way. I mean, I, that is a very widely held belief, and they simply just do not want to bother with it because they don't trust the test. And also, lie detector tests are not 99% accurate. That is, That was just a hypothetical that I did come up with, especially not in 1969. The person who was talking to me about that years ago, that, um, a former law enforcement officer that I mentioned, said that in the older days, lie detectors worked with a three-part mechanism. It checks your heart rate, blood pressure, and galvanic skin tension. And that, um, I mean, I've even read stuff that lie detectors were 80% accurate up to the 1980s. So these things are not perfect. Nowadays, they have new things like the computerized polygraph tests, which actually look at, how the brain is operating. Dan rebakov of course, was a big source of information for this, for me anyway. I learned about a lot of this from him. And he said that the long story short is when you lie, you have to use your imagination. And the body responds differently when you're using your imagination. In short, the body has to work much harder to create something that is fictional because you're having to not pull things from your memory, you have to create the new story, or you have to create the new pieces of information which are intentionally misleading. And you could see very easily how that would affect heart rate, blood pressure, and galvanic skin tension, but you would not be able to fool the brain. I mean, like, they can see if something is coming from the memory, or the imagination with the computerized polygraph test. But that didn't exist in the 1960s, and Ricky's family even says in these police reports he was very nervous about taking the test, and they thought that that was going to cloud the judgment. They didn't want their son taking a polygraph test no matter what. Now, I hope that people don't misinterpret my comment when I said, do I think that someone is... um?" guilty or it suggests guilt if someone is refusing a polygraph test. And I said, no, absolutely not. It also does not suggest innocence. It should be an indifferent um, aspect. It should not be revealed one way or another. If someone refuses the polygraph test for the reasons that I've already said, end of discussion. You can't say that it's for their innocence or for their guilt, but I would love to see what you guys have to say. Do you even think that lie detector tests are accurate or not? I actually have a lot more faith in polygraph tests for the new millennium than I do, than many of the other people that I know. Most people think that these things are absolute bunk, they're just pseudoscience. I actually think that the computerized polygraph test is somewhat, um, is somewhat reliable, but these things didn't exist in 68 and 69. I also am not a fan of voice stress analysis because I think that is also, um, Too many variables that are affecting it, but let's move on. I would actually like to go to something that is written on page 64 here. This is an offense report talking once again about the murders at the entrance to the Benicia Water Pumping Station. And let's hear about um, Ricky's mother. So it says, Mrs. Blank is the mother of Ricky, who was identified by Betty Lou's parents as being the boy who had been bugging Betty Lou at school. This information came via Dan Horan. She states that Ricky did not go out last night, and she accounts for his whereabouts from 3pm when he got out of school, from there until 4.15 when he was at his sister's place, returning at 5pm, they had dinner at 7.15, and his brother-in-law went to Allen Kemp's where they purchased a pair of shoes for Ricky for Xmas, and yes indeed it is written, X Mass, just like the Zodiac Killer with the two S's. The Zodiac Killer wouldn't write Christmas. The Zodiac wrote Christ Mass, but, um, here is a double S there. I just wanted to point that out, and I don't know if that's, um, that's relevant to anything. I mean, this is written by Captain Pita, actually, P-I-T-T-A, received by Sergeant Cunningham. I don't know if that's important or not, but, um, some people think that the Zodiac Killer misspellings are overrated, and some people think that maybe they're containing contemporary language or esoteric language that was involved in the Bay Area. The Zodiac really didn't seem to write a uh, Xmas too much. I can't think of an example, if there is one. I remember the famous ones about the Zodiac writing Christ Mass instead of Christmas, but there is the double S right there. From there he returned home and they watched TV a global affair from 9 p.m. until 11 p.m. It was Ricky's sister's birthday, coffee, and cake were served. Guests at the home at the time of Ricky's father, for whom they his mother is separated from, and a friend of Mr. Blank, which I guess would be Mr. Barton, and the sister-in-law and brother-in-law. If anything, I think that these people would know if Ricky was at home that night because it was a birthday celebration. Let's entertain the possibility that they are telling the truth. What do we have Ricky guilty of? Peeping into Betty Lou Jensen's window? Getting angry at David Faraday out of jealousy? We also have him harassing Betty Lou. But they say bugging her in this. It doesn't appear that he is actually involved with physical confrontations with either David or Betty Lou. Instead, these activities seem to show that he is displaying annoying behavior, Perhaps certain criminal elements, if he is breaking into their house, or if he is trespassing on their property. We don't know if he broke into the house, but the gate was open multiple times, and they believed that it could have been Ricky. Maybe it was somebody else. So, I'm really leaning toward Ricky being a weak suspect in the murder of Betty Lou Jensen, as well as the murder of David Faraday. But, I mean, talk about a coincidence. You have someone regularly bothering her. You have someone threatening her, threatening her boyfriend, David Faraday, saying that he's going to jump David with brass knuckles. I mean, all of these things coming together, that's really appearing to be something in the case of someone who is displaying a lot of hot-headed behavior. But would he go as far to have them murdered? Oh, I don't know about that. And let's just explore the challenge questions. The important questions for this one. Was this the Zodiac killer? I mean, it definitely seems like two teenagers were alone in a vulnerable place, they didn't come home, and people began to worry. Uh, there's... It's definitely looking like that could fit into the narrative, because the Zodiac did state the information, the facts that only I and the police know the brand of the ammo, the location of their bodies. That is all present. Secondarily, you would also have to find out How did Ricky get the gun? Who would have been with him? Who would have provided him this? Well, like, why would you completely accept that his parents are lying? That he wasn't at home? And not only his parents. This is the reason why I read this off. All of these other relatives his brother in law, his sister in law, the family friend, his sister, because it's her birthday. I mean,. If there were any night of the year that they would know if he were home, it would be this one because they're having this party, celebration, coffee and cake. So, I mean, let's entertain the possibility that maybe they're actually telling the truth. And that looks like Ricky is somewhat of a weak suspect. Now, could there have been a drug bust that is going on that David Faraday was responsible for and someone was following him? Um, I suppose anything's possible, but once again... How does anyone get to that conclusion? And I definitely lean toward the fact that this was a popular stopover for teenagers. Maybe not the best lover's lane in the world, but maybe David simply wanted to uh, give Betty Lou the class ring, maybe get a kiss from her or something like that. And they were blindsided by the Zodiac killer because the Zodiac was a Vallejo native and familiar with the backroads, familiar with the stopover point used by teenagers teenagers went to this parking lot. And even earlier in the night, you have the story of the individual and his girlfriend who pulled over with the new sports car, who pulled up the hood to tinker with the motor, and a suspicious vehicle pulls into the Lake Herman Road parking lot. They get bothered. They get spooked, so they close the hood, get in the car, and just drive away. And some people think that the Zodiac Killer was actually coming for them first. Okay, There are two things that you can do with that. First, you could be like, that was just an unsuspecting motorist. That was an innocent motorist who pulled into the parking lot and they got bothered and they drove away. Or you could say, this is the foundation of the myth of the Zodiac Killer. That this is when people begin to think that there's this boogeyman in the dark going out there preying on young people preying on heterosexual couples because of that story that somebody was stalking teenagers at this parking lot at lake herman road what actually happened it really is a mystery though Um, but I've never seen this type of intensity prior to reading this book, Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts, talking about um, Ricky's involvement with all of this. And that is something that is new for the discussions here. And it goes to show you that um, Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday had a large amount of drama in their life. Now, was, was this the Zodiac or not? Um, if there's any crime that wasn't genuine Zodiac activity, it was the Lake Herman Road murders because... No letters reported for seven months, not until the summer of 1969. This occurred in the, well, I guess the fall of 1968. I was almost about to say the winter, but very famously, I like to say this was the last day of autumn, right before the winter solstice. Michael Cole theorized in his book, The Zodiac Revisited Volume 3, that the Zodiac Killer wanted to commit this crime late at night, what is it, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., and he expected the bodies would be found on December 21st, the winter solstice, the darkest day of the year. He's trying to become the epitome of darkness. There could be that, or also the Zodiac could have been trying to go dormant for the winter, that all of that was intentional, and the Zodiac was trying to only commit crimes in the summer and the fall, And that uh, spring is meant to be the rebirth. And I even did an episode once talking about how the Zodiac's birthday could have been in April. And these dates have significance. Not the victims, but the locations and the dates. What really happened, we do not know. But I thank you for listening to this presentation on the Lake Herman Road murders. And I guess the overall discussion of this episode has been, was Ricky involved with the murder of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. Maybe his name is Richard Barton. His name is only written out on that note that Betty Lou Jensen had in her private locker in the gym, and uh, Betty Lou Jensen actually shared a locker with a girl named Sharon. That's why she didn't have a private locker for her normal items, but in the gym she had a private locker. So, um, If anybody would like to follow along with this book, it's Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts. And Tom Voigt provided me with this copy here for the podcast, so uh, thank you to him. And um, this will also be uploaded to Launchpad 1. Anybody can download the show for free there. You can write me at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. And you can also follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, Blackbox Online Radio on Facebook, blackboxnet 88 on Instagram. But with the Lake Herman Road murders, do you think that there is a possibility that it could have been somebody else, that it's somebody from the Ott Brothers gang, somebody connected to Ricky Barton, or do you think that the only answer is the Zodiac Killer? I'm not going to lie, just reading these um sections here, it seems like Ricky was bothering the wrong person. He was bothering Betty Lou Jensen, doing annoying, harassing teenage behavior, and she ended up murdered. I don't see anything that suggests that Ricky actually committed the crime himself, that he was the trigger man. I mean, yes, he's talking about things like getting into a fight with David Faraday, not shooting him in the head. And, I mean, what do you think, though? And... I would love to see your responses in the comments section below. And please look out for the next episode on the Blue Rock Springs shooting that will be coming out on Zodiac Mondays. And if you haven't subscribed yet, now is a great time to do so because we will be talking about Zodiac Killer, Just the Facts, and you can follow along with all of these episodes. I'm hoping to do one for each of the canonical crimes. So that's all for me now, and see you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.